0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Midtown. At the very beginning of the
1: Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series,
0: Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2.
2: Today's scripture reading is Genesis 2, 22 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
2: You may be seated.
1: Well, peace be with you. Well, this morning we're going to do something a little different. I am going to, uh, for those of you first-time guests, my name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here, and. Uh, have the joy of uh, reading and explaining the word that uh, was just read. Uh, This morning, we're going to do something a little different. We are going to uh, go through today's passage, but then after that, we are going to have a live Q&A. My wife, Amber, is going to join me on the stage. Amen. And you're going to have an opportunity just to text any questions related to singleness, marriage, or relationships to us. And we're going to have a moderator that is going to uh, moderate. So we look forward to to sharing uh, with you and just doing something a little different to hopefully address some things that we haven't been able to address the last few weeks as we've just been talking about relationships, singleness, and, and marriage and all those fun things. So I'm going to dive in and we're going to pray and then we're going to jump right into it. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word to your people, your sheep, know your voice, and a stranger they will not follow. Holy Spirit, we ask you to have your way in our hearts and in this place. We pray this not by might nor by power, but according to your spirit, O oh Lord, of hosts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Amber and I, uh, we met at Michigan State University. It was a Very important day. We got some Spartan fans. Amen. All right. Go green, go white. All day, every day. Yes. And so we meet at Michigan State University in 2005. It was a really, really uh, important day. This day points me to and reminds me of the sovereignty of God and his providence every time I think about it. I was in Louisville earlier that morning, meeting some professors at uh, Southern Seminary, uh, discerning what was next for me after college. I was a senior at State, and my pastor had told me about seminary and wanted me to check out Southern Seminary. So we drove down to Louisville on Thursday. I met with some professors, sat in a class, and I really sensed after spending a few hours here that this is where the Lord wanted me to land. Well, that evening on campus... Freshmen were uh, participating in something that was called Party at the Aud. The Aud was the auditorium. And all uh, campus uh, ministries and auxiliaries and opportunities to serve would set up booths there. And freshmen will come around and see what different activities they had. Well, I'm behind the uh, booth called Just for Christ, which was with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And my wife was looking for another Bible study that she had heard, and she ended up looking at our booth. We made eye contact, and according to her, she felt guilty uh, to just if she just walked past a Christian Bible study. <laughs> so out of obligation, she came over and acted like, hey, I'm interested in this Bible study. We had a conversation, and within that conversation, we realized that we had something in common, and that is the Hawkins family. Uh, The Hawkins family are my uh, cousins. I grew up with them. They grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. They're a larger family. Amber's from a larger family. And in the midst of the conversation, I said, oh, you're from Kalamazoo. I know it's a big city, so you probably don't know my family, but the Hawkins, to which she said, I know them. And she starts naming my cousins. Uh, She was on a cheerleading team in which my cousin played basketball, so I would have been in the same building as her when she was younger. And uh, it was quite, quite amazing. Uh, but it wasn't love at first sight. We didn't exchange numbers or anything like that uh, to, to date. I did get our number, but it was to follow up with her as a good Bible study person <laughs> leading, looking for freshmen to join Wood. And uh, over the course of the next year, we just were friends. And as I was heading down to Louisville, uh, just before I came to Louisville, we uh, went on a mission trip together. And it was on that mission trip that the Lord brought our hearts together. So here's just a couple fun photos um, of us. This is our uh, first time ever taking a picture together. This is a group that I led our leadership team at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, I think we were in Atlanta. This is Buckingham Fountain in Chicago, our first date. That's right. Man, those shorts were pretty long. I'm not sure what I was doing <laughs> in my life there. And this was our engagement. Funny story, I was there by faith. I, had, I was broke as a joke. I spent most of my money buying this, the ring that was on her finger, and this suit coat, and uh, I was putting a whole meal on a credit card, and there was two families there celebrating an anniversary, and they ended up paying for our meal. Oh. I'll never forget that. Amen. And so that's our story. But here's my whole point of saying that. What I praise God for in our story is that when we met, uh, is that we had a, a pretty long stretch. Even before we officially dated, maybe it was, was two years. Uh, but we had a pretty long stretch of just being friends. And we got to cultivate a deep friendship together. And if you were here for our uh, series when we talk about singleness, I talked about how important that is uh, to develop a friendship, to get to know the person before you jump into like this hot wired intimacy. Um, even especially fe- uh, physical intimacy with a person before you know if uh, they love Jesus and before you're in covenant with them is very dangerous because it clouds everything about you and that person, and you can end up marrying someone you don't know. And you can uh, confuse uh, this gospel shaped love for infatuation. And so I just simply want to encourage you really quickly and for those who are married to make sure you are cultivating a deep friendship in your marriage. As we look at Genesis chapter two, verse 24, this important verse, I believe that the thing that Moses is getting to here when he says that the two shall become one flesh, they shall leave their mother, their parents and cleave to his spouse is this very intimate relationship. And a a good marriage is built on Jesus and is built on friendship. And that's what we want here at Sojourn Midtown. We want marriages that sing as a duet and that don't compete as a duel. I love uh, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. The author says, this is my beloved, this is my friend. This is my beloved, this is my friend. For those who are looking to date, Uh, when you stand before that altar more than anything else, more than what they make, how they look, how they make you feel. I pray that this is what you're able to say. This is my beloved. This is my friend. And for some of you who have been married for a long time, I pray that what um, excites you about your marriage more than any other thing is that you are married to your best friend. And today I just want to talk about friendship to hopefully encourage you, no matter if you're married one year or you've been married 50 years, to cultivate a deep friendship. Because the ultimate question in marriage is, will you help each other to grow to look like Jesus? And can your relationship blossom to becoming your deepest friendship? That's the ultimate question that we want to constantly come back to. God intended for marriage, listen to this, God intended for marriage to be a covenantal journey of two friends whose relationship helps them to look more like Christ in their future glorified self. I'll say that again. God intends for marriage to be a covenantal journey of two friends, a male and a female, whose relationship helps them to look more like Christ in their future glorified self. couple important words in that sentence. The first is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. It's not based on if you do this, then I'll do this. It's a covenant that you make uh, with that person and with God. It's both horizontal and it's vertical, vertical and horizontal. I just switched that up. I was like, something feel right there, right? And you make it and and and, in front of witnesses, and it's it's deeper than a mere contract. And this is a relationship that is a journey. And oftentimes, this journey it starts off easy because you see all the gold that a person brings. But it becomes harder once you say "I do" and once you start living with each other, because now you see the impurity and the dross. And that's the way it's intended to be. When two people say "I do," they are sinners that are saying "I do." And as we talked about earlier in the series, there they come with these suitcases that they have to unpack. And you start unpacking the suitcase, and you realize that the person that you married. Man, they have some proclivities, some tendencies, and some sins just like you. And it's all wrapped in a past and a history and experiences and things that they haven't even discovered themselves. And so if you've been married a year or two and you're like, who in the world did I marry? You married the person that you were dating. You just got to know them better. And they married the person that they were dating. And now you got to know each other. And this is the way it works. And if you think that what's going to solve your problems is marrying someone else, then you're in for a rude awakening because the same thing is going to happen with the next person. The grass may be greener on the other side, but it's normally greener on the other side because of the people who are tending to it. And for many of us, once we see the sin that is another person, we stop tending to our own grass. We start getting lazy, stop dating, and we start cultivating this fantasy world and believing lies of of Satan, that it's just all this person that we have no responsibility, and that's a disaster waiting to happen. Marriage is sanctifying work, listen to this, that happens through friendship as couples commit to speaking the truth and love to one another with the goal of pursuing or or reaching um, their future glorified self, right? And simply what I'm saying is this friendship that is rooted in Jesus where our goal is to live in authenticity with one another with Jesus at the center so that we can look more and more like Jesus more and more like Jesus I think that's what Paul is getting to in Ephesians chapter 5 when he talks about husband loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her making her to make her holy cleansing her with the washing of the water of the word and he did this to present to the church to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or a wrinkle or anything like that but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their bodies, right? As a husband and wife are loving each other, sanctifying work where they are helping each other as they learn to live in authenticity, speaking the truth to one another, speaking the truth in love to one another, living out the rhythms of the gospel, they are growing more and more over the years in Christ-likeness, getting closer and closer to their future glorified self. That's hard work. It's gospel work. There's two things, two quick encouragements I want to encourage you as you seek to cultivate a friendship in marriage. The first, and both of them are rooted in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. The first is this notion of leaving. Notice verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother. Leaves his father another. The second is, is cleaving to his wife and bonds with his wife. Some verses say he cleaves to his wife or holds fast to his wife. Cultivating oneness in marriage is cultivating a deep friendship. And in order to do that, you have to be committed to leaving and cleaving. Now, what does it mean to leave? Here, Moses focuses on the importance of leaving one's parents. But in believing, in essence, is rejecting a lifestyle of overcommitting, to anyone or anything that will remove your spouse from being your first human priority. I'm going to say that again. Leaving looks like rejecting a lifestyle of overcommitting to anyone or anything that will remove your spouse from being your first human priority. Now, we talked about the importance of every spouse, first and foremost, pursuing Jesus as their first love, drawing from him so that we can give Love freely to our spouse. And when we reverse that, when we draw from our spouse, um, it becomes tug of war and it becomes an unhealthy relationship. Well, leaving means that we have a priority and that priority is our spouse. Here, Moses focuses on the importance of parents. He says, listen, you need to leave. We talked about last week how that doesn't mean necessary geographic geographical distancing um, as ancient Israel uh, uh, Israelites would have probably lived close to their parents because normally they would inherit what their parents had or work in the family business. Believing means that your f- spouse is your first priority. It means that you treasure it. I love Wayne Mack in this uh, book, Strengthen Your Marriage. Uh, drawing off of that, he says, listen, you you treasure your mates' ideas, opinions, and practices more than your parents. More than your parents. You don't do this by always agreeing or going along with your spouse. But you learn to treasure your mate's experiences and how the Lord has wired them by slowing down to listen to them and to understand them. Leaving means that you must not be slavishly dependent on your parents for affection, approval, assistance and counsel. It means that you don't seek to change your spouse because of what your parents Um, say they should be or expect them to be. It means that you slow down, both of you, to observe and to learn from the social environments in which you were raised. And you, you learn that, hey, we're both bringing a past and a way to view the world into this marriage, and we need to slow down as things come up and to talk about it. We have different assumptions and presuppositions and expectations what well, one person experienced in their house may become an expectation. This is what we do for Thanksgiving. This is what we do for Christmas. This person has an expectation. This is what we do for the holidays. This is what it looks like to take care of a home. This is what it looks like to have a working relationship. This is what a vacation. You have to sit down and, and together you create something new. And many times our parents or experiences are shaping how we are interacting with each other. And without knowing it, we are overcommitted to our parents, or we're overcommitted to the environments in which we are grow up in. And we think that the way that we were raised or what we experience, or we're reacting to the way, the things that didn't happen. And we think that it's to do something different is wrong. And it's not necessarily wrong, it's just different. And so part of cultivating a friendship is talking about those things, committing to create something new and beautiful together. And that takes time. Not only is it a leaving of of parents and creating something new, but it's making sure that we are not allowing our children to become our first priority. The healthiest things that we can do for our children in raising them, the healthiest thing we can do is to have a thriving marriage. It models for them relational health. It reminds them that the house doesn't center around them. And hopefully it points them to Jesus' love for his church, and we get to talk to them and talk about that with them. And I just want to give a quick word of encouragement before I go to this next point, because I really want the, to have a longer time with the Q&A. Man, we have fun at the nine. Uh, I just want to encourage parents who are getting older, and your children are getting ready uh, to leave the house. And I'm not there yet. And a lot of you guys have a lot more wisdom than I have on this. But man, let your children leave. And trust them to the Lord and don't be the parents that are hindering your children's relationship with their spouse from growing. And I know it's hard. You've been with them since they were like in the hospital room with you and since their first cry and all the significant moments. But they've got to create something new with their spouse. And so yes, speak the truth and love to them, but do so respectfully. And even if you don't see in their spouse what they don't see, What they see in their spouse, it's really, once they're married, it's really not your your problem. (laughs) And it's a chance that your parents didn't see, like vice versa, right? So let them breathe. But that means that you're going to have to do deep gospel work too and untangle some things in your own heart. And that's okay. Not only does it look like leaving, but it also looks like cleaving. It looks like Fully committing to each other. Listen to this. Wayne Max says, "Marriage is a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with another person until death." I love that. And if that sounds sweet, it is, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, and it takes time. It takes prayer. It takes community. It takes wisdom. It takes the word. It takes forgiveness. It takes grace. It takes maturation. But we are all, if we're in Christ, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need, every spiritual blessing to grow in this deep friendship together. Cleaving involves three things. It involves knowing, understanding, and loving. Knowing, to cleave is to know. It's to know one another better than anyone else. It's to know each other's world. Never stop being curious about your spouse's work. Hobbies. It involves knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses, and this is vulnerable. And the only way to do this in a way that's healthy and as life giving is if you both are treasuring the gospel. It involves knowing each other's tendencies and temptations. It's, it involves knowing each other's stories and struggles, knowing each other's doubts and dreams. And the only way this happens is through regularly cultivating meaningful conversations, hopefully just like you did when you are dating. And it can be discouraging because sin gets in the middle and story gets in the middle and pain gets in the middle, but it's something that we have to work towards. Cleaving involves us knowing each other physically and working towards a healthy physical relationship. Which isn't as easy as we, as you may think if you're single. It, that takes hard work and that takes communication. And physical intimacy doesn't just happen when you go into a bedroom. It, the fires of physical intimacy are built through knowing each other, through conversation and time and treating each other well. To cleave means to understand. I love what 1 Peter 3 and 7 says, husband, in the same way, live with your wives in a understanding way. And then it goes on at the end of the verse to say, and uh, so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's powerful. That's powerful. It's a commitment to understand your spouse so that your prayers would not be hindered. So there's something happening spiritually when we don't take our spouse as a whole person serious and commit to knowing them. And it's fun. It may be tiring because of some things that you've been through, but man, God can revive your marriage, revive your friendship. He can revive it and he can make it something beautiful and new. And you get to to keep exploring that person. I told this story many times of how when Amber got married, I played the, uh, wrote out a hundred questions, wanted to know everything that I could about her. We just had great conversation. We wrote letters while we were dating. I felt like I really knew her. It was like two years later, I heard someone ask her a question. I thought I knew the answer and the answer had changed. I was like, who is this person? I wrote down the answer. That was not your answer like a year ago. <laughs> so understanding a person is making sure that you're coming back to that person. and Understand that person, marriage changes people. Time changes people. Age changes people. We should all be growing and becoming more curious about different things, which means we have to keep talking to each other. Or we'll give Satan a foothold into our marriage. To cleave means to understand. To cleave means to love. We saw this in Ephesians 529, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Just as Christ does the church, it's a cultivating a relationship where you love and care for each other. I love 1 Peter 4, 7 and 9. Peter's talking to the church, but I think this is a powerful principle for marriage. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Be alert and sober-minded towards your spouse and pray for them. Don't wake up in the morning thinking first and foremost about yourself. Reorient your heart by going to Jesus and maybe train your heart to start with your spouse. And if two people are training their heart to not think more highly of themselves, but to think of the other person as more significant than themselves, and you're training yourself towards that, being sober-minded, you can learn how to pray for them and to cultivate intimacy. Above all, love each other deeply. Is that a word for marriages or not? Deeply. Love is a commitment. It's an active commitment because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And this is a word, I think, for couples in your marriage. Offer hospitality towards one another. Not just towards outsiders, but towards each other. Continue to serve one another and think creatively to do that. So practical principles for oneness. This is really at a ground level, and we're going to talk more about this in a second. It's cultivating that friendship. What are some practical things you can do? One, start the morning with a sweet good morning. Before you check your phone, before you check your email, before you run to do something for the kids, what does it look like for you to kiss your spouse or if they're still asleep and you don't you have different schedules? What does it look like to write just a nice note to do something thoughtful and just say good morning? What does it look like to continue that hospitality throughout the day, to check on them when they're at work, to send a text, to So every now and then do something meaningful for them. Spontaneous. Also, what does it look like to schedule and to follow through regular date nights? And this changes as life changes and schedule changes, and with kids, but it's something that we have to make a priority. Keep Keep the honey in the moon. Keep the honey in the moon. Keep the honey in the moon. For many of us here, we have to go on a journey of healing. Because if you've been married for some time, there's been some scars and there's been some wounds. And this may be even hard for you to hear, practicing oneness, because there's some unforgiveness and some bitterness. And I just want to encourage you to do the work. Do the work. Just as Christ did not give up on you, don't give up on your spouse. And God is inviting you. And we talked about what doing the work looks like. It looks like putting together IKEA furniture. Looks like slowing down, coming back to the book and the instructions, investing in your marriage by reading books together about marriage. The meaning of marriage for Tim Keller is a great way to start. I Still Do by Dave Harvey is an incredible resource for those who have been married longer and who need to unpack some more bags together. Read the instructions. a A lot of things to help with your marriage. Talk to a pastor, right? Third, just like Ikea furniture, you ask for help. He asks for help. For those of you who are single, I just want to remind you that while couples are called to cultivate this deep friendship with each other, they're still called to cultivate a deep friendship with Jesus. And in the same way, you have Jesus Christ as your ultimate friend and he can meet any void in your life and in your heart. And he, he can minister to you in a way that is that brings contentment and flourishing. Another person does not make you whole. Only Jesus can do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness towards us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us here at Sojourn to just value oneness in our relationships and deep friendships, cultivate deep friendships I pray, Father God, that you would help us all who are are married to continue to pursue healing and maturation and to help us to present our spouses to you with confidence, knowing that you're doing a work in them and in us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask Amber to come up. Give it up for Amber. Also, Pastor Jesse, he's going to moderate some questions for us. We're going to go for about 20, 25 minutes, and, um, and we're just going to talk. We're going to talk. So uh, Jesse's going to give us some instructions. I want to thank you guys, one, for uh, giving us the space to do something a little different and, um, and for the grace that you're going to extend to us as we try uh, to do something different. So Jesse, are your hands.
0: Thank you, Pastor Mo. All right. So we're going to put up a number on the screen there. And the 9 o'clock, they showed up strong this morning. So uh, you all have an opportunity to send your questions into this number, kind of responding to what you've heard throughout this series, especially this morning. So take the opportunity to hear from Pastor Jamal and Amber. First question, uh, kind of a softball question maybe for you all, but what is the right time to marry? And how do you know if you're ready?
2: Um, I think this is a good question. and. couple things one i think as parents that we should prepare our children to be thinking about marriage and to be intentional with that thought Uh, i think that's kind of gone away and two if you are in a relationship i think intentionality is important um if you've seen that uh this person also loves jesus you love jesus and i think it's important to be thinking about to be thinking about marriage if that's the direction it's going instead of um of haphazardly if you're in community with other believers and you're uh you know in a church then you have a community around you that can also help help you think through this uh whether or not you guys are ready for marriage uh, or if you need uh, a little more support but i think community is important but i think it's important to have intentionality um in your mind i think there's two extremes on the one when we started dating i had gotten into all you know reading certain things and so I was like, well I'm not dating anyone else until I get to college and the next relationship I get in, I want it to be my last. So when we first talked and I said, I'm not, you know, I had that. And so I was like, okay, let's pursue marriage together. That was like our first, let's talk about being in a relationship. You don't necessarily need to be there. That's not necessarily what needs to, what needs to happen. But I think on the other extreme of um, you know I'm just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be out there and if it happens, it happens. That I think that also can just not be stewarding your your relationships and your time well. So I think intentionality is important. And if you're in community, then you have people that can help help you in that.
0: Ditto. All right, we're rolling this morning. Can you have healthy conflict in marriage? And if so, what does healthy conflict look like? Yeah, I think
1: uh, definitely. uh, I think that's what we want to pursue and. Uh, getting to define, like, to a place of healthy con- conflict, it takes time because both people deal with conflict differently. I think the basic um, rubric or framework is man, speaking the truth to each other um, and, and doing so in love. Hmm. And um, giving your spouse an opportunity to say what they're feeling. And, and you may disagree, but give them the space to say that and create an atmosphere where they're safe. Uh, to say that,
2: um, yeah. Perhaps there are some out there that are, that are like me. I tend to see conflict mm-hmm. as a bad thing. So if there's conflict or we have a disagreement, it's like, oh, I, I failed. Like, how, you know, like, oh, I'm sad that this happened. If I, had, if I was just better, then we wouldn't even have this. But the reality is we're sinners and conflict is a reality. And one thing that um, over the years that Jamal has helped me to see, and he would say this a lot, is that conflict can be good. Conflict handled in the right way um, can actually draw you guys closer together and build you all stronger, stronger together. And also, you know, for me, I can be emotional. And so sometimes we would get into these, we'd have conflict or disagreements. I would just start crying from jump. Like we couldn't even get into the conversation. I would just start crying. And not that tears are bad, but when you're trying to work through some things, it's kind of hard to do that for the other person if someone's melting down on the other side of the couch. So I really prayed um, that God would help me to be more in control of my emotions so that we could have more productive conversations when we had disagreements. And by God's grace, I have grown by leaps and bounds in that way, and that's helped for better yeah. communication.
1: And for me, I would, early on in marriage, I, and, and part of it was that dynamic of, um, you know, not wanting to hurt her, even if it was some, some smalls, it's like, hey, can we? So I would just start holding everything in and shutting down. And that's not healthy either. So we had to learn to say like, hey, something's wrong when you're ready. Let's talk about it. Um, and I had to learn to not get caught up in my head because before I know it, I'm caught in my head and my, I'm getting emotional. And then she's like, you feel distant. I'm like, eh, you know. Uh, so I had to learn to like speak the truth and love and just to deal with things when they came up and not just wait too long as well. And sometimes we just talk to each other and say, hey, we just got to push pause. Let's talk about this in the morning. Let's talk about this later. So you learn each other.
2: And be, be careful with the snowball thoughts. I'm a snowball thinker. I can be a snowball thinker. Something happens. He's thinking this. I suck as a person. And then before you know it, you're just down in the pits. Mm. So, like, the Lord's been teaching me, like, you need to grab those things. To, you know, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are true. Like, Scripture has been helpful. Like, I need, to, I need to change my thoughts and think of something else so that I can relate and engage him in a positive way. Yeah,
1: it's amazing Hopefully. how many of our conferences, like, probably 90% of our conflict— is like presumed or conversations that hadn't even happened, right? And so being able to communicate clearly and to realize that we don't know each other's thoughts. Like many times, I'm I'm thinking, you thinking this, you're thinking, like, that's not what I'm thinking. Well, what were you thinking, right? So yeah.
0: That's good. Thank you all. That was a
1: long answer, sorry. Oh,
0: that's rich. All right, how have single friends supported you well as a married couple?
2: Well, I should say I'm, I'm thankful for um, our single friends that we have. I think, one, that it is helpful to, to make sure that we don't get stuck in our own bubble of, of just ourselves or just marriage or life. But we get to um, do life with people that um, are on, that right now they're in a different season than us. And so it helps us to, um, it helps to grow, to grow us in that way. And, also, they've just been a blessing to us and, like, in our children, and not just in, like, babysitting, but, like, our, our kids have so many aunts or grandparents or uh, whatever, just from, um, from people in our life that, that are single.
1: Yeah. You know, people are just so uh, beautiful and creative, and every single person brings something to the table, yeah. uh, whether single or married. Even when I'm thinking about the series on singleness and the talk, like, uh, I think the Lord blessed a lot of singles through singles and me just being able to meet and talk with them and learn their perspective. So I think singles help
0: holistically. Hmm. Thank you. all. Do y'all have any suggestions for books on cultivating friendships?
1: Yeah, there is a, there's a resource I'm going to send out later in the week um, on marriage and singleness, but um, man, there are so many great relationships. Uh, the Meaning of Marriage hmm. by Tim Keller has a whole section on that, which I think is just some of the best things that I've read. Um, Drew Hunter has a book on friendship. And even though it's just broad in friendship, it's an incredible resource for cultivating friendships that can be applied to marriage.
0: Thank you. We've talked a lot about responsibilities for the husband. Is it appropriate for the wife to hold the husband accountable to these things? And what does the wife do when he's not being the rally man? Somebody was listening to your sermon.
1: Yes, it is appropriate. And I'll let Amber tell you, (laughs) encourage you on what to do, (laughs)
2: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think it's important for us. Um, like We've been through a couple of cultural shifts, and so maybe we're at the tail end, I don't know, of like biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And so there was all this pressure on men and women on what we should be doing. This is the right way to be a man. And so I would just encourage women, uh, wives on this end, that, yes, it's, a, it's appropriate to hold your husband accountable um, to different things, desires in your marriage, or different things that he said, but at the same thing, I think it's really important to extend grace and to realize that you know that you have a, you're in this for the long haul, and everything's not going to happen at once. And that in marriage there are seasons. There are times where things are going really great, like you have a really great devotional rhythm, and then there are seasons where that falls off, and it's like we're not doing that at all. Um, and that doesn't. So I, I just want to have you to extend that grace that you can hold your husband accountable, um, but in that way. Um, in, in love. You don't want to undermine your intention by being the person that's keeping shame and guilt on them so that it's like, well, I don't even know that I want to try because it's, I, just can't, I just can't get it. So I think it's just, um, just be, be gracious and recognize that things take time. Everything doesn't happen at once. And you can... Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's good. The goal, I think, in marriage in general, whether it's conflict or not, is to build each other up. It's to build each other up. And so um, husband and wife should be held, holding each other accountable, but you want to do it in a way that builds each other up. And that takes time and, and, and uh, energy and wisdom and community to learn, like, is this building up or is this setting someone up and setting our marriage up to just be Filled with bitterness and rage and pettiness, mm-hmm. um, so we want to be building each other up.
2: Take a deep breath, and in the freedom that you that you have, that your marriage does not have to look like someone else's marriage. Maybe they do these things. That doesn't mean you have to do those exact things. So you have you guys as a as a couple have the freedom to build in your own rhythms, to fail, to grow, to make mistakes, and to change. So oh,
1: yeah, we should be. By the grace of God, through deep friendship, slowly pulling out who the best version of that person is it's not who you want them to be, it's who Jesus made them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that takes time, it takes healthy confrontation. It takes a lot of repentance. So: That's beautiful.
0: Really important question. Who makes coffee in the morning? <laughs> Man, I feel like I'm going to lose
1: my job if I say this. I do. With a Couric machine. <laughs> so I know we got a lot of coffee people here. I'm sorry, y'all. And,
2: and that's fact I don't drink coffee, so I don't know how to make coffee. Uh-huh. And we don't have a coffee machine.
1: Yeah. I know Louisville's a coffee city. I know.
0: I just hit the button. And <laughs> it's no judgment. All right. Thank you. Thank you. How have you lived and cleaved, prioritizing your spouse over family, children, friends, ministry, etc
2: um i think well for for me i think it's it was helpful uh for my my parents' end that they they were happy i mean not like yay, she's gone <laughs> they were happy to like to send me off and and i i felt like um that they tried to be intentional to 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 respect those those boundaries but um so i think it's but yeah, I think it's just taking time, and with, with, with the kids, um, I think that also was kind of something that my parents had kind of like granted, like we weren't the high, pro- I mean, they, they loved, and they were very loving parents, but they didn't model that, a child-centric home. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have come into marriage with that idea. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think uh, early on being curious, so showing her father the honor, uh, honor by asking him questions, learning for him, and trying to model before him responsibility, right? And then lovingly setting a tone where it's like, hey, like, we're, we're together, right? And we're going to do this together, and there are going to be boundaries. Um, I think for us, the, maybe the harder thing that we've had to learn through the years is uh, with, we talked about overcommitting, with ministry. Uh, that's been something that, you know, I feel like every year we get better at. But early on, I just had to have boundaries and, and say, hey, you tell me what you think is healthy, what you and the kids need, and I'll, I'll go from there. Uh, because early on, it was more just go get them and didn't have boundaries with how many nights out of the week I was counseling or doing things
0: like that. Mm. So
1: it's been a journey.
0: Yeah. No question. Here's an interesting topic. What do you all think about online dating? How do we navigate that? <laughs> that's a good question.
2: Well, I've, I know several people who have met and gotten married via online, several Christians who have met and gotten married via online dating. So um, again, I don't, I don't, I don't see an online dating as something that's inherently, that's inherently bad or negative. Um, the Lord can draw people together in a million different ways. So I think, um, yeah, so. Wisdom, I, I think it's important to keep the important things important. Is this person a believer? Uh, do they love Jesus? Are they pursuing him? Uh, yeah, are they pursuing him? And, um, you know, just, just wisdom, but I don't see online dating as something that, that is a negative. Yeah, I, I would
1: say, for one, for men who are dating online, uh, we want to pursue women as sisters mm. and to respect them. So if you're part of Sojourner and you're online dating, don't Don't be weird. Um, I've just heard too many stories of men being weird. Like I'm a Christian and then in somebody's DMs and making inappropriate things. That's not okay. And Christ sees that. Um, And two, I I would just say, keep those principles that we talked about in this relationship series in mind. Right. The goal is deep friendship and relationship. Be smart. Be safe. Hmm. Uh, Don't put your hope in Online dating, put your hope in Jesus, um, and it works for you, great.
0: If it doesn't, great, um, and find your identity in Christ. Thank you all. That's a good topic. Several friends' marriages are in crisis. How do I walk with them when their spouse is resentful and unresponsive? And Maybe what are ways as a church body we, we can help respond in those situations as well?
1: Uh, I would just say community is really important, one. So, man, just if you're not in deep community, be in deep community. Amber and I have been blessed with a wonderful community group. Um, we've got deep friendships there. And we feel like our friends can tell us observations and help us to grow in marriage. And that's a gift community, married and single. Two, here at Sojourn, we have resources like Restore, we also have Grace Marriage. Um, you also have pastors um, who can who you can share maybe your friend's experience with, and they can help uh, coach you on how to best love them. There's also uh, uh, other resources, um, counselors and therapists, and I would just say with that, uh, just making sure that you. Pursue that wisely, and if you're a couple here and your marriage is in trouble, you pursue that wisely, and invite a pastor into that journey with you to help vet uh, people with that. But i would just say, speak the truth and love uh, to your friends. Give them a picture of the future and what it could look like, and remind them that Christ can heal. And the better person that they're looking for is probably already in their house. Um, if they would just slow down,
0: ask for help, and read the instructions. How should a husband relate to his wife with his struggle with sexual temptation? Yeah, that's a great question. Let
1: hmm. me to go. No,
0: oh, sure. Right. You <laughs> want to
1: go? I always give you the hard ones first, so I can think. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rejecting passivity right now by answering first. Um, <laughs> I, I think one is in marriage. You both want to acknowledge that everybody has sexual dysfunction because of the fall, no one's perfect. Um, Hopefully you have cultivated a friendship that can hold that. And so there's part of that journey in which is knowing your spouse and what's helpful and healthy to share with them. If you're struggling, you need to let them know that you're struggling. You need to have a conversation on why you're struggling, and you guys need to cultivate a relationship that's healthy and God-honoring for both of you. Uh, Second, as a man, you need men around you where you can be honest and vulnerable and speak the truth to, men who will come alongside you and help you. But that space, every spouse is different. Some spouses want to know more and can handle more, and some, um, it's just not wise to share everything with, but they need to know how to pray for you and that this is an area of temptation for you. I will also say in marriage that you both just need to be wise. It's good to have friendships and to cultivate both, but Amber has full access to every email, text message, and thing that I have, and I want her to be looking at those things. If I'm texting someone who's of the opposite sex or email them, which is rare, but there are friendships and people that we're close to, like she sees that and I tell her. I have a, relation, uh, a conversation happening about this very specific thing. Um, here it here it is, and and vice versa. You want to create an atmosphere that is safe, life giving, mm. and wise, um, where both people can flourish.
2: Yeah, I think it's you know just helpful to acknowledge that we live in a broken world. We live in a, a, a sexually focused world, and so we all come with our with our own stuff. And perhaps in your marriage, it will be helpful uh, if. Either of you um, have in the past struggled in this area, whether it's the pornography or whatever. That you know, what the other spouse maybe sets up the parental controls and stuff on your electronic devices. Um, there's something called Covenant Eyes, which can help to filter out a lot of that stuff. And maybe your spouse has the the passcodes for certain things. And li- I mean, I think just that honesty, that accountability, and um, tapping into these, these things, that, these resources that you guys have. But, but also just recognize, like, you're not alone. If you struggle with that or you struggle with that, you are not an anomaly. So I think that taking that, recognizing that, can also give some freedom. Um, but, yeah, just... Yeah. There's, there's people, and there's places yep. place here to, to, for help.
1: Yeah, we also have accountability groups here. Um, there's a wonderful resource uh, called Unwanted, um, which helps... Uh, with people understanding their sexual story. And uh, there's just so many different resources that you can look at to understand your temptations, your shame and things like that, because it's all connected to your soul. And you need people that you can talk through and you need to ask questions so that you can know, like, why is this a struggle? Why is this a temptation? And the space to to, to do that with. So we have resources here. Um, but do the work. Your marriage and a healthy marriage it's worth it, and it is so beautiful. It takes time to get there, and you go through seasons, but it's beautiful. So cultivate that friendship
0: with your spouse. Thank y'all. Women are wise. Amen. How does Amber give you wisdom and shape you, who you are as a pastor? It's coming right at me. Good. Okay. <laughs> Just um,
1: man, it's so much. You know, I feel like I talk about Amber's positive sides all the time. And I just want to be careful to not create a false culture. Amber's a Mm. sinner, and um, she's the most beautiful person (laughs) that I know, um, but she's a sinner just like I am. She's broken just like I am. So I say that to say this. Um, One thing I really appreciate about Amber, and I have since we started dating, is how serious and enjoyable her relationship with Jesus is. Mm. And I get to benefit from that all the time, all the time. Um, and that's the most compelling thing about her is that that girl is, she's gonna seek the face of Jesus. And so I get to experience that, and she prioritizes her, her relationship. She a mother of five, and life is a lot for her, but she makes sure she's still in a way regularly and daily to spend time with him. And I get to experience that, you know, through on time words of affirmation and Quoting of Bible verses and prayers. I remember when I was going through a dark time of my life and just depression, her writing prayers and scriptures out and surprising me. I opened up my lunchbox and there's like, you know, a letter. I remember once she wrote, took a, one of our favorite pictures and made a card out of it and then on the back just wrote words of affirmation. She has loved me to the point um, of just wanting to love Jesus more, even in her brokenness, right? So
0: it's beautiful. Amber, for you, if your marriage started today, started blank slate, what would you all change? What would Ooh, you change? Yeah, but what would you change? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. um, you know, I think if, uh, if it was starting fresh today, one thing that I would hope to, uh, like, up uh, from jump, begin to embody more, would be this, um, like what we talked about with, with conflict and just being honest and, and speaking. Um, I think sometimes in relationships, we, under the intention of love or compassion, um, we just, we, we, we hold things in. And then we build our own narratives in our mind, which begin to shape how we view things. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be helpful um, for me if I would just if I had been, if I am starting to say, like, oh, I want to, from today, um, trust my husband, that he loves me, that he, that he is seeking my good, and be more honest when I, feel, when I feel offended by something or when I misunderstand something instead of assuming, like we talked about before. But just being more intentional to be, uh, to be open and intentional in conversation and conflicts um, and just life. So, yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. I think that'll
0: be one. Um, Yeah. Thanks for being so vulnerable, answering that question. Um, Probably the last one we have here, uh, we have a little more time, but I just wanted to say thank you all for engaging this morning. These have been really, really good questions. So um, what has been kind of challenging as you try to include single friends in your marriage?
1: yeah I'll start I think um one is just time and space you we all have limits, and so you know just being mindful of our time and space sometimes too we can wanna go you know too wide instead of deep, and you just can't go deep with everyone, and so uh that could be a challenge. I also think um you know just making sure with each single friend that they understand too like if you are a part of a family and going to be over regularly, that means you're a part of the family, right? That means you got to help and, and pitch, pitch in and, uh, and, and expect that. Like, it's family. And sometimes with family, we're not talking. We're just sitting and we're reading and we're cleaning. Right. <laughs> um, um, and also creating an atmosphere where um, they are just valued holistically and um, where they expect us to be able to share things with them um, and want their wisdom as
0: well. Thank you, y'all. Would you give it up for Pastor Jamal Ambrose? Right. Oh, oh, sorry, I, did know, I didn't mean to cut you
2: off. I'm pretty sure that there's an unspoken question out there about what is one of the best ways as a spouse to be sanctified and loving your spouse. And I just want to let you know what it is. It's by drinking after your spouse.
1: <laughs> you just opened up a whole thing. <laughs> yeah.
2: So if you're one of those holdouts that doesn't want to drink after your spouse, Now you know. you got to cut that
1: out. Yeah. So we're back to counseling. I don't drink after anyone. I barely drink (laughs) after myself. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But this is group counseling now, so clearly I'll set up an appointment this week. (laughs) Hey, thank you all. Hey, there's so much wisdom in this room uh, from so many other... uh, couples and pastors, and thank you guys for sitting and and, uh, listening, and thank you guys for giving us the space to try something different to hopefully help. Um, Everything that I said today is, it's very possible to fail out and to continue to fail out, Um, and it really is a journey. And our hope is not in our own wisdom, strength, or knowledge, Our hope is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The only way that true sustaining growth happens is through him. And it takes a while to happen. It's a lifelong journey. And every Sunday we come together and we take a meal that reminds us of this hard work of not only marriage, but hard work. And that the way that we are transformed is by fixing our eyes on Jesus who lived, died and rose for us. And because of him, we don't walk in fear, guilt, or shame. This is a message not of triumphalism, but it is a message of victory. And it's a reminder that one day uh, we will be made whole through him. So every Sunday we take bread, we bless it, and we break it. Knowing that this is the body of Jesus. And we drink juice, reminding us of the blood of Jesus, which was shed for us. If you're a Christian, we like ask you to partake now in this meal by opening your packet and eating the wafer, which represents the body, and drinking the juice, which represents the blood. And if you're not a Christian, we're going to ask you not to partake at this time, but to hear these words, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting